It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Which one leads to greater power and greater compensation? And I will find interesting. Oh, that one, right? So that's how I made decisions. You're listening to Money Moves, powered by Greenwood, a finance podcast dedicated to dropping all the knowledge and gems from the world's leading celebrities, entrepreneurs, and experts in tech, business, and more. I'm your host, angel investor, technology enthusiast, and media personality, Tanya Sam. Each week, we talk with guests who are making significant strides in their fields and learn how they are making their money move. If you're someone who's looking to make your money move, you're in the right place. So open up your notes app and lock us in because this podcast will give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance you so rightly deserve. Our executive producer had an opportunity to interview trailblazing journalist and media pioneer Paula Madison. Join us for the captivating conclusion of our conversation with media executive and journalist Paula Madison. Discover her ultimate career goal, insights on overcoming imposter syndrome, and hear fascinating stories from her time at NBC. Tune in now for valuable wisdom and inspiration from this industry trailblazer. For me, the calling was never, oh, I want to be a GE company officer. Oh, I want to be the first black, blah, 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 blah. You know, people don't make themselves the first black or the first anything. It's the person who puts you in that role, who then bestows upon you the role, the title of the first whatever. I've never looked for, oh, I'm going to be the first. Who does that, right? What I'm moving towards is, ooh, so when I become president GM, I'm going to get a company car, and the allowance for the car is $100,000 every three years. Ooh, I'm going to get membership in XYZ. Oh, it's not stock, stock options anymore. It's RSUs and hundreds of thousands of them. That's how I made the decisions about if it's this role and that role, which one leads to greater power and greater compensation? And I will find interesting. Oh, that one, right? So that's how I made decisions. And most importantly, I wanted to know 
what were the perks of membership in the club, right? I know people today, today, who are president of this and COO of that and never thought about going out on their own. It never dawned on them. And I'm like, I don't, how is that possible? I mean, you, it's a life of somebody putting something in front of you. Oh, if you do this, then we're going to give you that. If you do, what about if I do this, then I have enough and I'm going to go off and do my whatever. So to the extent that I had a goal, my goal was power, meaning authority, total compensation, and being equal in a room. I'm being equal in the room. So I will admit to being that person sitting in the room, we're all around the board table, and oh, we need water. I'm not going to get water. My ass is gonna sit right here in this chair, and somebody's gonna get me water. No, 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 we, we are not doing that, right? And it isn't that I would never do that, because if I was in a room full of black folks, I'd be like, y'all, y'all want some water? But the meaning and the significance, you understand, is so important that if you ever have sometimes that out-of-body experience where you're up on the ceiling floating and watching what's happening below, you really have to look at it that way. You look at it through your lens and you look at it how they are seeing it. So for me, am I chopping it up with the boys? Not really. You know, uh, the, the annual big, big, big GE meeting. We're in Boca Raton, the 600 top people out of the 275,000 GE employees we gather every year. And there's a golf tournament. They're golfing, they're golfing. I don't like golf. And I'm not going to pretend to like golf, right? Question was, one year, so what should we do differently? Not to interrupt, but I, I definitely want to, I don't want to skirt over that because I think that what, what Allegra's getting at with identity is that you really solidly kind of know who you are. I have my own identity. You're very clear on that. And I'm curious, even if it wasn't you, maybe it was an employee or uh, a child or a family member, like have you, have you had to help someone figure out that for themselves and, and like, what kind of advice do you give to folks when they're trying to figure that out for themselves? About being themselves and maintaining yeah. their identity and strength? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, I have a grandniece who's just lovely. She's here. She works in the industry. She's in production. And she asked me, oh, Paula, you know, have you ever experienced, you know, um, imposter syndrome? And I, what's that? And she said, well, you know, you like you don't really know how to do something and you're afraid that people are gonna find out that you don't know how to do it. No, I never experienced that because I don't pretend to know everything. But I'm also not a fake it till you make it person, right? So for me, it is a function of what are your strengths and how do you maximize your strengths? So I was told the next role for you, Paula, is president and general manager of a TV station. My experience, all the presidents and general managers had come out of the sales division. I don't do sales. I'm in news. What I was told was the news department is the largest department in the station. The news department is the one department that interacts, aside from HR, 
interacts with every other department, right? You don't really have to come from sales. I said, yeah, but I don't want to be disadvantaged because I don't know sales and I don't know how much of that background is important to being a GM. I said, so what I'd like to do is give up two weeks of my vacation and I could just hang out in sales and be a fly on a wall and sit in the meetings and watch whatever. And the president of TV stations division looked at me, he said, you don't have to do that. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to feel like I, so, so I, right up front, I put out up front, this is the difference in my background that all these other people, they have that. What he said was, you have somebody to run sales, right? You, you have to run the station, right? And so for me, in the imposter syndrome realm, my belief is be necessary, right? So while I may not have come equipped with that skill, I came with such skills that other people who might have had a sales background have no idea how to accomplish. So the strategy for me is in the terms of being necessary. I mean, I will tell you that I'm also a big believer in if we're facing something that is, could be a little rough or tenuous, let's role play. You be you and I'll be the other person. And here's what's come up. And then you say whatever. And then I'll say, well, let's go over that again. Right. I've done that with Jack Welch. I've done it with Bob Wright. I've done it with some pretty big names in the world of corporate America and not just because they were dealing with black people, right? It really is finding your place so that when something happens, they want your advice. And I limit myself, this is another strategy. I can call, I could have called anybody at the highest reaches of the company and leave a message with the assistant and say, I only need five minutes and I would limit it. I only need 10 minutes. It won't take any more than 10 minutes. To this day, my daughter, who is a forensic psychiatrist, who's doing a lot of work right now, I will text her, Imani, when you get five minutes, just give me a call. I promise it won't take any longer than that. And I think when people understand that you're not going to spiral on and spiral on and spiral on, right? I will present to you the elements. I will share with you what I think makes sense it might be your decision. And then I'll wait and we'll do whatever we both decide. You take my advice or don't, but we will execute whatever. So what I'm saying here is that I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been, my husband accuses me of overthinking and I don't know that it's possible to overthink. I find relaxation in strategizing. I strategize about the next generations in my family. We have family meetings, we have family Zoom, particularly during COVID once a week, there were 15 of us on the call from two years old to 75 years old. And when the kids come on, we're not the family that goes, no, 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 you know, it's like, you know, you have to make children feel that they're loved and pause. I don't mean if it's a major, you know, corporate whatever and your boss or your whoever, they don't get it. But in the environment, in family, in friends and whatever, you have to make room for it being a tribe. You have to make room for it being a group. 
maybe not a biological family always, but certainly a family in spirit. I think that your superpower is deeper than just strategy. It's almost the ability to, to not only analyze the situations, but also self-analyze too. And I, and I guess, you know, if you were to describe it as a superpower, like how would you describe it? Um, I think one of my greatest skills is that I'm really good at reading people. I'm really good at understanding and listening and then helping figure out the next steps. I spend an awful lot of time right now with some people who, whether they're starting out or they're high, or they're high up, I will spend 15, 20 minutes, sometimes more. If I started dropping the names of some of my mentees, you'd be like, and this is just because what I know is that from speaking to folks, I know that they haven't had the experience that I've had, which is being encouraged to be analytical, being encouraged to be strategic, and understanding that I don't have to do that. You see, I'll give you an example where years ago, the president of television stations division at NBC, they called me to come and interview for a job in New York at WNBC. And when we sat in the meeting, this man is Jewish, he said to me, well, what do I say to the Jewish community when, you know, maybe they do some research and find out that you were once a black Muslim? And I said, well, it's the nation of Islam. And um, what do I say to the Afri African-American community when they ask me, you know, if you've been on a kibbutzim, 17 years old, going to Israel and learning how to be a Zionist? He just looked at me. I said, so here's what we'll agree to, or not. I said, you won't ask me about this ever again. You asked me here to interview for this job. I have a job, and I can get other jobs. But if you're going to go 20-something years back in my history to ask me something like that, we should just stop now. I got hired. And the point of that is that transparency is important. It's important that you lay out up front that you are a courageous person. I have courage. When I didn't have shit, I had courage. You don't own me. And my mother's constant refrain was she would slap her chest and she'd say, they can't kill you. And I was like, Ma, actually they can. She's like, they can't kill you. And that's when she said, well, better that you die, right? It's the owning yourself. You don't own me. And I actually had a conversation with a president of NBC4 who told me in the midst of a racial struggle going on in New York City, and it played out on NBC, he said to me that I, you don't have the right to say what you said to Andy Lack, who was the president of NBC News at the time. He said this to me, you don't have the right to say what you said to Andy Lack. We were in this man's office and the door was, was open, just him and me. I walked over to his, office, his door and with all my might, I slammed it as hard as I could. I slammed it closed and I walked over back in front of his desk and I said to him, if I were to pull down my pants and show you my black ass, which I would never do, but if I were, there's no peacock branded on my ass. He was like, I said, you're mistaken. You think you have power. 
and you think you have power over me. I said, this is my hometown. This is New York City. I said, I'm from Harlem. Two phone calls and within three hours, I will have more than a thousand black people down here surrounding 30 Rock calling for your job. He just stared at me, bubbling, bursting with furor. He just stared at me. And I said, it's a contract. You can hire me and I accept. I can quit and you can accept. Don't be fooled. I'm not here because you're letting me be here. This man was apoplectic. I walked out of his office and you know what happened? Within six months, I was vice president and news director. At that point, I was assistant news director. I didn't even have the big job. But what's not going to happen is we are not going to walk up and down these halls with you thinking that I'm scared. Please, dude, come on. I'm African. I am an Af scared of what? Scared of you? I said to him, you are, fat, you are a fat white man from Iowa in the city of New York. This is my hometown. And then he had to make me news director. He tried to sabotage it. But I put into employ a strategy of zero basing the news department's 50 plus million dollar budget. And for the first time in 11 years, we were trending to coming in under budget. We actually ended the year a million under budget and I wasn't trying to be under budget. But by zero basing, we were able to actually be much more accurate in our prognostication of what the spend was gonna be and what our needs were gonna be. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.
I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Great. So I think what I want to do is wrap up, like, the questions with... Um, Quick fire answers? Well, no, I, I, it's really it's really just a summation almost of um, leveraging their strengths because everyone's going to have different strengths than you have, right? Sure. Um, and they may still be searching for their strengths. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a two-part, you know, heard all this, you don't know what your strength, maybe give them a, a sure. first step and then I'll, get you the, I'll give it to you again, but the second part will be if you found your strength, then maybe what the first step is there. So we'll start with people that haven't found it yet. I'd say for someone who is not sure what his or her strength is, and if you don't feel comfortable zeroing in on it, then go to people who you trust and who you know have a certain kind of love for you who will be candid and ask them, what do you think? It's the, another version of how am I doing, right? You can't be afraid to ask that question. You might not always agree with the answer, but here's what you get the opportunity to experience. You get to look at yourself from the outside in through someone else's lens, right? Because if somebody said to me, well, you know, you're really mean, I would actually have to stop and pay attention to that. If somebody said to me, you're a brilliant strategist, I'd go, oh. Now maybe at whatever point in one's development, words have not been strung together to describe your strength in a way that you can identify You need to have your tribe. You need to build people around you who you can trust and who you can trust to tell you the truth. And some of the things that they share, you might not have seen that that was a strength of yours. When somebody tells you that and uh, and someone else who you trust goes, yeah, you, you do have to pay attention. Like, oh, I didn't really realize that. And, and so now, I feel like my strength is identified, but I'm not quite sure how to employ, you know, to what to do with it. What to do with it to to create the things that I want to create in the world. So I'm just curious, what what are some of the, you know, kind of ABC steps that one could do? Um, well, one of them I mentioned earlier, and I think that um, 
it, it is about being courageous and having enough courage to go to your supervisor to ask, how do you think I'm doing, right? At that point, you have to evaluate yourself. You have to see whether that person's assessment of you matches your assessment of you. If somebody were to say to you, I don't even know why you think you can do this job. You're doing such a poor job at this job. What I would want to do is try to understand that person's motive for saying that. Is that true? And importantly, now, well, how do I improve? How do I turn that around, right? And you may not come to the conclusion that that's a safe place for you to stay. You may not come to the conclusion that you belong there, right? But I am a believer in signposts engaging just how long you should be in a particular location before you pick up and move to one other spot. There is a very, very, very high-ranking person in banking who I met three months ago. And he asked me, how did you know that you wanted to do this or that? How did you know it was the next thing you wanted to do? And I said, well, after getting input from my direct supervisor and doing my own research, I've got to figure out, based on what I've done, what's possible for me as options. I said, have you done that? He said, no. I said, yeah, but you're at such a high rank. You've not... Have you never? He said, no. I said, so in other words, you've been waiting for them to tell you what they think is next for you. And he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, that's really not you investing in yourself. As my mother said to me years ago, your father's name is not on that building. So you don't own that. You're not a part of that family. You need to find out for yourself where you belong and what your investment should be. In that regard, I had this conversation with this brother for about 20 minutes sitting in a hotel in Dallas, hotel lobby in Dallas. I learned the other day, he had the conversation, he's leaving that company where he was because he'd never had that kind of conversation. He realized if they were truly interested in him and his development, he would have, and so you go out, he went out and tested the market and got the most amazing job that's however many levels above. What I'm saying is that there is a certain amount of security in knowing that every day you're gonna go here and there's this and that foot goes in front of that foot and go, that foot goes in front of that foot. I'll go back to what my father said. If you stay with a company and work 25 years to make the white man rich, I will be ashamed of you. They give you a gold watch at the end. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you think for yourself, figure out what your skills are and how those skills that you have might benefit you and not necessarily your gift to a company that might not be rewarding you the way you should be rewarded, particularly as a black person.
particularly as a black person. So I would say that if you look around and in your company, you're the only one at here, there's a problem, right? All those jobs where I was the first or whatever or the only, I had a deal when I was offered to take the role as Chief Diversity Officer, Executive Vice President for NBC Universal for diversity. I wouldn't do that. Not because it was demeaning, but it was like I was going to retire early. I don't want to do that. But after Don Imus called the Rutgers women's basketball team nappy-headed hoes, I was like, oh, no, I'm doing that. We're going to change this up right now. And what I made as a condition, there were a few conditions. One condition was I only report to the CEO only. The other condition was my same compensation as president and general manager, it will not go down. So stock options, RSUs, compensation, salary, the, 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 the company car, all of that remains. I don't move into a different compensation level because I'm now in a diversity role, right? The other thing I said that I needed to be was a GE company officer. At first, it was like, well, no, we can't do that. Well, then I don't need to take this job. I was made a GE company officer. And then there was another position that an African-American male who was well-regarded and well-respected had been a vice president for 12 years, never promoted. And I said, promote him first. Well, why? Because how do I take a role that has me as the chief diversity officer and then what? I've now got to walk around and convince somebody that this brother who I know is excellent and who hasn't pushed and advocated for himself? Okay, maybe that's not his personality. But if I'm going to step into this role and my name is here, do it first. And it was done, right? And what I'm saying is leverage Sometimes you have the power to make things happen. I mean, that's, that's super important. A lot of people miss opportunity when they have the leverage and they beg for it when they don't. Some people don't recognize that they have the leverage and many people are afraid to recognize. Because when you have leverage, that means you got to step up and step into it. Right? If it's always, well, so-and-so won't let me, or I can't do blah, 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 or I haven't been given an opportunity, but what happens when the opportunity presents itself? What happens then? It's like, this is my chance. Because the only thing, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen? You lose your job. Or go find another job. Or start your own business. My strategy was multiple income streams. I have this job, I have an ownership of a company over here, I have investments, right? Whoever would dream that it makes sense to be a black person in the United States of America and go to work every day for a paycheck and you have no control over your income other than you show up, you do work, and they give you a paycheck. Really? Because that's how many of us have been taught. You just want to get a good job. I don't just want a good job. I need to own shit. 
I need to be in charge. I need to be able to call the shots. And if I walk into the room and say, excuse me, but let me do this. Yes, we will do that. I need to be able to say, you know, here's my sister, my sister friend who I've had. I put her in charge of blow up. Y'all listen to her, right? I don't have to do all of it. But what I have to do is be secure enough to hire people who are smarter than I am in areas that I am not as skilled in. And together, the parts of a whole, we're parts of a whole, right? I like to think of it is, and I used to come up with these strategies. Oh, what if such and such happens and the company wants a 5% reduction across the board for next year? We would do exercises. I would have my team come up with a 5% reduction, a 7% reduction, a 10% reduction, so that it, should they, oh my God, I am such a believer in preparation. Oh, we figured that out. We got that. I'm not happy about it, but okay, I got that. No matter what, this is great. But I always ask at the end of every interview is that if there's anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share. Sure. I do have one thing. I've been asked throughout my career, um, what's the one accomplishment I'm the proudest of? If there was one accomplishment I'm proudest of, and I would say being a mother. I think that it's amazing to be entrusted with the body and soul of a person who looks to you for guidance and for education and for, you know, how to navigate. Um, I mentioned earlier that I never had a goal of being the first or the only, right? I didn't even have a goal of being a mother. But when I found that I was going to be a mother, right, I was that person who pure body, ate a certain way, made sure, you know, in terms of how I was preparing this human being to come into the world with as many physical, spiritual, emotional, biological advantages as I could give her. And I just think as a people, if we could focus on what strengths we're infusing into the next generations, um, I think that it would be a lot easier for us to see what our talents are and our strengths are and how to strategize. My family in China has a documented written history that goes back to the year 1006 BC. 3,000 years going into China, I can trace my ancestry up until the last generation in my family. If I go to Jamaica and trace my ancestry, which I have done and hired genealogists to do, the farthest back I can get is three generations. Why is that? Something called slavery. And when we understand that what we've overcome as a people and how God's ancestors have worked in order for us to be here, it's not that we can't have fun. It's not that we can't have a life of humor and joy because we can, but what we can't do is squander. Make these decisions in a strategic and thoughtful way so that what we know is we're moving the next generations 
farther up the ladder. Uh, Deb Langford, um, who I hired, she was actually the second person when I went into the diversity role at NBC. She's the second person who I offered a position to, and I waited a year for her contract at uh, Warner to end. And Deb was so important to me and is still important to me, but she was so strategic to making sure that I was able to uncover some of the roadblocks for us as people of color, as black people to get ahead. One example, I asked, I assigned Deb to look through the work rules of the DGA, right? We had the WGA, we had DGA, we had a number of IATSE, we had a number of different guilds that I knew based on experience that African-Americans were not getting nearly as far along because they closed the doors on many of these opportunities. And what I learned, Deb came back to me and said, Paula, do you know that if you work as an AD, assistant director, on a, um, if you work as a, as a second AD on a project, and then the next job you have is a first AD, great. But if the following position is not another first AD job, you go back to being a second AD. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, somebody hires you to be the first AD or the second AD. She said, right. But the way that it works is that we, people of color, we rarely get the opportunity to be a first AD. We come in a second AD. And even if somebody who we know puts us on that next, we have to bust back down. So I scheduled a meeting with the DGA. And Deb and I and our team, I had about 20 people work for me, but our team that worked on this, we met with them. And when I explained what a hurdle that was and how, whether they intended to or not, they were shutting many of us out, um, I understand that they changed that rule. Deb is now running black wealth initiatives for J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, how do you go from her working in production? She worked on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She was working with, um, delivered, what, 125 executives of color when she was working at um, um, Warner. So sort of two steps under Dick Parsons. And then I hired her to come and work for me. What I'm getting at here is what seemingly are disparate roles opportunities that don't necessarily even stay together in the same industry. Right now, as heading this black, black Wealth Initiatives and the strategies around multi-generational wealth, how to invest, which for a lot of us, we don't know. These are all the things that she's putting in place. And I'm very grateful to her. And she and I talk about it because a lot of it came about with her hanging out with my family and how for us, it's all about that. How do we propel the next generations? How do you spend, invest your money? What is it that you are trying to accomplish goal-wise and what's the legacy that you're leaving? Thanks for listening to today's episode. If we helped you make your money move, please share it with your community. Subscribe and leave us a review on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Greenwood and visit us at gogreenwood.com for more financial tips. 
And remember, Money Movers, if this were easy, everyone would do it. So take the lessons you've learned from this episode and apply it to your life. Until next time. Tune in next week for our interview with Will Packer. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure to tune in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom you so rightly deserve. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.